Again, thanks for uh, coming to join us tonight for a little encouragement and enrichment time. It's a privilege for us to have Pastor Glenn with us. I uh, gave a brief introduction this morning, but I'm grateful for his investment in specifically the Grace Covenant family, his 12 years of leadership here, and the growth that happened and how he positioned us um, by the work of the Spirit through his life, how he positioned us specifically as a congregation uh, for the ministry that we're experiencing today. I'm grateful for his investment in my life personally, and I'm grateful for his leadership in our church family. He is, uh, if you're not aware of this, he's like in the, he's in the two-minute drill of the last quarter of a game, and <laughs> that he is seven months until he's Coming to retirement, he served in this position as president for the past 10 years. And what he's done for our church family, for the organization, has been phenomenal. You know, after 75 years, the tendency is is that uh, an organization becomes ingrown. And when he took leadership of our church family, from my perspective, um, the denomination had... From an organizational perspective, the denomination had lost its focus, and it became about how could the local church serve the denomination, which I think is absolutely backwards. It's about how can the corporate office serve the local church where the mission is happening. And so over the 10 years of his leadership, he has literally taken the large ship of the Foursquare Church and turned it to where the, the focus is back to the local church where mission and ministry happens, which is... Um, a huge challenge to take an organization that's so rooted. And so we've seen his leadership there. In his 10 years of leadership, get this, the Foursquare Church around the world has grown by 40,000 churches. Amazing. Not only that, under his phenomenal leadership, we went from being in um, a challenging place financially as a church family, to a place he was sharing numbers with me today and how God has turned the financial position of our church family um, is phenomenal, what's happened in the past 10 years. Um, And it's certainly because of his role, his influence, and his leadership. Um, Talking about someone who can connect leaders, who can bring folks together who have issues and help them resolve the issues, who uh, is uh, a peacemaker and one who's able to lead in such a way that other folks say, I want to follow that kind of leader. Uh, That's who we have tonight to encourage us, invest in us. So would you once again welcome my friend, our pastor, Glenn Burris, Jr. Thank you, Sarah. Well, good evening, and uh, it's great to be with you. It's great that uh, the campuses could all joined tonight and I have some long-term friendships here and I'm meeting generations of people that Debbie and I connected with earlier. When Debbie and I pastored here, um, our kids were two and four. They graduated from North Mecklenburg High School, uh, went to Chapel Hill, so we're big Tar Heel fans. I don't know how my wife ended up as a Duke fan, but I think she just wants to be contrary, because um, when I ask her who plays for Duke, she has no idea. Um, so, but she's, uh, it was fun. Some, some, most of you would not know this, and I've never put it on a resume, but 
when I was pastoring here, uh, Debbie ran an after-school daycare, so occasionally I would go pick the kids up and take them to golf practice or basketball practice or cheerleading practice. So I became the president of my daughter's cheerleading mom's group. So I just want you to know that that's on my resume. Before I was president of Foursquare, I was president of the cheerleading mom's uh, association. Um, This has been a remarkable uh, 11 years. I was uh, president for one interim year after Jack Hayford, and um, then we'll be finishing 10 years, and uh, people are very kind. They want to know what I'm going to do next, and I'm telling them I'm going to rest, and I'm going to play some golf, and and I'm not um, committing to anything. There's lots of opportunities out there. I just want to finish my life serving Jesus. But um, uh, let me tell you one fun thing, because my belief... And the whole premise of my time with you tonight is going to be centered around one thing. It's going to be centered around what has become the centerpiece of my sense of organizational health in the body of Christ. We don't give our attention much to administration in in some sense of the word in terms of what is the best, um, how we best position ourselves. But I believe there's a scriptural basis for why the church exploded And I think there's a scriptural basis for how we can keep the flow of the Holy Spirit moving in ways that help us fulfill what the Lausanne Commission uh, made as its motto years ago. And if you've never heard this phrase, you should write it down. It's the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And you can break all three of those down. What does the whole church mean? It means empowering everybody. It means believing that even those that are credentialed or vocational, their job is not to do the ministry. Their job is to empower the whole church to do the ministry. And when that doesn't get done, then you have a bunch of professionals doing ministry. And so then what does the whole gospel mean and what does the whole world mean? And we're in this, what I see is a a real press from almost every section of the body of Christ to identify what the whole world is. Now, what's interesting is most of us would identify the whole world as maybe countries that haven't been reached, a big deal about unreached people groups. So you can go on the Joshua Project and find out where people have never heard the gospel. There There are people saying that within the next 25 years, we can have the gospel translated into every language on earth. They're, they're just saying that there is such phenomenal progress made in identifying who doesn't have the written word in their language. But now we're starting to identify groups that have just been overlooked. For instance, um, the deaf um, are now becoming um, a group that we are realizing has been very underreached by the body of Christ, special needs kids. Uh, most churches don't know even how to begin, and parents are at points of great frustration because even if they go to a church, there's no one there equipped to be able to share the gospel. The world's gotten ahead of the church on some of these things. And um, I don't know if you heard recently, but there's a film that's being created. The, the, remember the Jesus film's probably been used by more people around the world to share the gospel than any communication piece. Now there's a film being developed uh, for deaf people, and it is just taking on like wildfire. Um, wildfire and I, I think Foursquare is going to get involved. We're going to help support it. And 
I just think that there are things that God's going to tell us that are, it's not just Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and around the world. It's back in Jerusalem where areas that we've neglected. I was sitting with a couple today that have some have had some foster kids and adopted them. Probably foster care is probably one of the most needed uh, foci of the church um, of kids that have been neglected. I, I would imagine if Jesus were here today, he'd be spending lots of times in prison. And um, it's just things that we forget that are right uh, among us that we need to empower. This is what I believe. If we would empower the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world, the groups that I'm mentioning don't need theological master degrees. These are community, compassionate. Um, we just need people to build bridges. We need people that are willing to go and show up um, and be able to carry uh, the, the word of Christ. Venezuela uh, there's a project, Four Squares Beginning, called, I think it's the Road to Hope, where we're going through Colombia and trying to d dispense in our Four Square work in Venezuela food and, and things that share with the body of Christ there that the world hasn't forgotten them. Uh, it is just the most horrific in our world, the most unbelievable economic collapse of a nation that is richer. I mean, Google it, the, the biggest oil resources in the world are in Venezuela and they're being squandered um, and the church is under persecution yet I'm getting video and text of thousands of people being baptized in the ocean in Venezuela uh, by the church and so I'm thinking you know we have created a utopia for what the church looks like and God said I work best when people are desperate um, so what are you going to do to help me get the gospel to people that are desperate? That's where Jesus found himself. We, we might find ourselves often at the temple. Jesus would be at the well talking to the woman. How do you become, how do you get this tag of saying, I'm a friend of sinners, if you're not actually hanging out with sinners? Most Christians after seven years have no unbeliever friends. And yet... Uh, the gospel is very clear that we have to keep telling people about uh, the scripture, and I and I think it just happens. I think it just happens in the most natural places. I I enterprise car sometimes, and they'll come pick you up, right? And part of the reason I do that is because I want somebody to pick me up. I I've got them hostage for about thirty minutes. <laughs> and I'll tell you two stories. One is an older lady who. Um, just was mean. I mean, she was a driver, but I always asked for her. <laughs> and she, and I would, I always tip really good because they remember you if you tip well. And so I would always tip her. And after about five or six trips, I finally said to her, there just seems like there's some pain in your life. Is there anything that, um, you know, I, tell me a little bit about yourself. Discovered that she was in love with a young serviceman. He was a pilot. He was in the Vietnam War. He came home from Vietnam, and in his first domestic flight, got killed. So the love of her life died uh, in what would have been safe. She married a guy, wasn't in love with him, got divorced, and her whole life has been spent in, a, in an emotional season of regret. 
so I said, um, you know, why do you just, why, why do we keep connecting here at Enterprise? Not only do I ask for her, but I found out she asked for me, and she said, because I always feel better after you leave. And I've never, and in all those times, I don't know that I've ever actually mentioned the gospel or mentioned Jesus. But there's been something about our connection that she said, I don't know what there is about you. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I want that hope. I want that joy. And so I've been sharing with the gospel. Another young um, or another enterprise driver's name is G. He's a Sikh. He's a young college graduate. He's, uh, his family's from northern India, from the Punjab area. 20 million Sikhs there. They have a mono uh, theology, believing that there's one God, and he's filled with grace and forgiveness. So um, we just pulled into my driveway. It was uh, Saturday morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning. And um, so he just said, do you mind if we talk for a little while? I said, sure. And so he just started talking. He said, every time I ride with you, I go home and make notes. I said, you do? I said, what do you make notes about? And so we started talking, and um, then I, he said something about living in Birmingham, Alabama. So I said, have you ever heard of church at the Highlands in uh, Birmingham, which is a really large church? He said, yeah, a lot of my friends go there. And uh, I said, it was kind of like revolution down the road. And, and so anyway, long story short, he gave me his phone number, let me take a selfie in the car, and uh, and I put it on Facebook to pray for G, and he said, I'll go to church with you and your wife. And I wonder if sometimes we miss the simplicity of the gospel, that it's not as much about licensing and credentialing and organization as much as it is about just being who Jesus is wherever we're at, empowering people at every level Farrell mentioned to you about a financial turnaround. I'm happy to, to share with you that I just got a report from our financial department in the last 10 years because uh, we had a $60 million deficit over a period of time. But in the last 10 years, your Foursquare movement has given away $100 million. In that same 10-year period, we have grown over $100 million in our assets. Isn't that kind of cool? Now, it would be kind of cool if I just came in saying we've grown $100 million. That, that would be seem like financial responsibility. But to do that and give away $100 million. Most revolutions, because when I took this office, uh, uh, one of our pastors called me and said, we've got some guys concerned about our finances. And so he said, there's four or five of us. When I got there, there were 22 of them. <laughs> and for 10 hours, I got grilled about our organization and I thought to myself in the middle of this meeting, I will never have this kind of meeting again. We may have other kinds of meetings, but it will never be this one. Because I believe that at the edge of a reformation and a revolution that happens, it often happens because leaders are unaware of or unwilling to make change. If you look at the most critical meeting in the Bible... It'd be fun to do a little uh, uh, question and answer period. Just say, tell me, tell me the most important meeting in, in the Bible and have you write it down, fold it over, and give it back. I wonder how many of you would write down Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. You might say, well, it was the upper room. I would suggest that's pretty important. 
But by the time we get to Acts chapter 15, the church was uh, in trouble, even though the Holy Spirit was among them and not discrediting the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm saying that you have this divine design, but without human responsibility, um, because the same Holy Spirit's available everywhere, but he's not working the same everywhere. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? There's places where you see the Spirit of the Lord released. There's places where you, you see the presence of God, where the favor of God is, where people are accepting. It was in Acts chapter 15 that I think modeled where our movement started, which is, I don't, I'm not a big organizational person, but I do believe that something got seated in who we are. It's very similar to Acts 15 because it was at this point that Paul and uh, Peter were making their way through um, the area and watching some things happen. You remember Peter's vision of the house of Cornelius? and So there's just lots of things going on. They finally arrive at Jerusalem, and they meet with a bunch of the apostles and disciples, and they start arguing. Um, the Bible says debating and uh, uh, fierce discussions. Should we let the Gentiles in? I want to rewind you to the beginning of, of this uh, country's origins when a group of people gathered together for the First Continental Congress and their questions revolved around how can we be more involved in the future of this nation? How can we have more representation? How can we... I mean, all I'm telling you is that we have a world whose divine design is that God wants everybody involved. But when we sequester power, you see it even in the natural, not just in the supernatural, you see it in the natural, where people gather power to themselves. If you've ever been to France and you've never been to Versailles, you've missed something because in the middle of the most difficult economic time that France ever um, lived, Louis XIV and Marie Antoinette built the most opulent palace outside of France and removed themselves from the pain of the poverty of France. And at some point, the people just had enough, and they went to Versailles and got Louis XIV and Marie Antoinette and brought them back into Paris and took their heads off. That started what? French Revolution. Our revolution here started with a letter to King George that says, can we sit down and talk? King George wrote back and said no. We wrote a second letter. You know what the second letter said? When in the course of human events it becomes necessary, that was a declaration of independence. You know, we don't celebrate the day we actually got our independence. We celebrate the day that we declared it. I find that interesting. We weren't a nation July 4th, 1776. We, did, we, we wrote a document that said we want to be free. Well, I'm just telling you, I think all of that has its origin in God's design to redeem people and to set them free. Jesus said in Luke 4.18, For the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, to preach the gospel to the poor, to set the oppressed free, to set at liberty those that are bound, and to heal those that are sick. 
So all of a sudden you see Jesus outlining his ministry was to take people from a place of bondage and brokenness and bring them to a place of wholeness. That is the mission of the church. I don't know what all you get involved in, but in in Acts 15, they were arguing whether they should let the Gentiles be a part of this. Now I'm wondering if someone ever said in the middle of their meeting, oh, by the way, if we let the Gentiles in, one day they'll be in charge. I mean, think about that. Are you willing to let the very people you're making room for actually have the potential to one day be in charge of what you're inviting them to? But after fierce debate, it wasn't Peter, it wasn't Paul, it was James. I thought, interesting, the brother of Jesus, one of the guys who one of the gospel writers earlier said didn't actually believe in Jesus' ministry. But here he is standing up in front of the apostles and disciples several years uh, after all of this happened, and he says three things, and this is really important. If you're taking some notes, take this down. He said, let's remember what God has said. That, that's one part that we should make as, as part of our framework for our future. What has God said? Because that hasn't changed. So they began to rehearse the prophetic words over Israel. Think about this. God said to Israel, um, I want you to be a blessing to what? All nations. Wow, God said that? Yeah, he said that a lot. So what does that mean? It means all nations, not to just Israel, not to just the Jews, but to all nations. The prophet Joel said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh, men, women, young, old, handmaidens, servants. It's for everybody. All I'm trying to say to you is, you know, you forget a lot of things people talk about, but the thing I don't want you to forget tonight is the the impinging moment in history at every government, every major deal in our world has to do with where authority is and whether it's released or whether it's um, controlled. If you go to Germany today, you'll see the evidence of the old Berlin Wall, which was an attempt by the communists to make people stay in. And yet the most visited part of Berlin is not the Berlin Wall, it's the Brandenburg Gate, which is the gate where Reagan said, tear down the wall. It, was the, it, it is the sign of freedom because it was there. If you ever made your way to that gate and got through, it was freedom. So we don't celebrate the Berlin Wall today. We celebrate the Brandenburg Gate. Why do we do that? Because we celebrate freedom. We don't celebrate enslavement. We celebrate Nelson Mandela in South Africa today. Why? Because a man in prison for 27 years, when he got out, forgave all the people that put him there, and he said when he was elected president, on the platform will be the people and the families of those who put me in prison because reconciliation begins now. The, the only way to get to the future is to 
Take away the clenched fists that happen so often with authority and power. And in the Jerusalem Council, James had to say, what has God said? God said everybody. So what does everybody mean? Everybody. Then James says, so let's also talk about what is God doing? Where is his favor? Where is his grace? What is he blessing? And and they had to admit among themselves, God's blessing the Gentiles. He's doing miracles among the Gentiles. Peter had to talk about his vision among the Gentiles. God said everybody. So then they concluded in Acts 15, if God has said this and God has done this, then we have to decide among us, and here may be the most important decision you'll ever arrive at or most important conclusion you'll ever arrive at as a leader is where is God going then? If he said that and he's doing this, then where is he going? Because I want to intersect where God is going to be. I don't want to be behind him. I don't want to be out here. Jesus was ahead of his time. is why they crucified him. He took the gospel outside. He healed people on the Sabbath and told them to carry their bed. How dare he? tell people to pick up and carry their bed on a forbidden day. And yet Jesus was trying to get people to a future where we realize that the man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. Every Reformation, Martin Luther nailing the 95 Thesis on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. I was there on the 500th anniversary Maybe you're aware of this, and I may have even told you this in the past, but um, I've been a big Martin Luther King Jr. fan because of God using a pastor to help lead the civil rights movement, and so I'm connected with their church and with their current pastor, Raphael Warnock, and Charles Steele, who is the head of the Martin Luther King Jr. Foundation in Atlanta, which is helping with housing and a lot of things among the poor. Recently, they had what's called Expunge Sunday, uh, Saturday. You've probably never had an Expunge Saturday and, um, in Cornelius, but they brought the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the Cobb County Police, the Atlanta City Police, the Sheriff's Department, together to expunge the records of 600 African-American youth so they could get education and they could get jobs. That was led by the church. Why? Because our mission isn't to control people. Our mission is to empower people. What does it take to get people free, get people free of their pain, get people free of their enslaved condition and world, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whether it's cultural. It's our goal to empower people, to set people free. One of the things I love about the Foursquare Church is that we don't control any national work outside the U.S. We have empowered the world to govern themselves. We don't govern any nation. We act as spiritual elders, which I want to tell you at the end of the day, has more influence than governance does. When you're invited to come into a nation, which I was in Brazil, we almost lost the entire nation of Brazil over some um, um, theology issues recently. And instead of leading from a governance standpoint and says, we're in charge, we're in control, so you have to do this, 
We brought their president and their board of directors. This is, a, <laughs> this is funny. This is a movement of 18,000 churches that has 64,000 incubators. They are one of the fat Brazil Pentecostal church is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. But they were sliding away from some sound biblical teaching, so we invited their president. They knew it. We invited their president and their board of directors to Miami, um, Florida. So they said to us, can we tell you about what's going on in Brazil Foursquare first? And we said, sure. So they took four hours to tell us all the good things that were going on in Brazil Foursquare. It was fun, but they were filibustering. You know what that means? They were filling the time so we wouldn't have much time left to address the issues we were concerned about. We didn't address governments. We didn't talk about how they elect their president, who's kind of overstayed his time. We, just, we didn't do anything about governance. We didn't say we're going to take our name from you. We just said to them, in fact, I started my time with them by saying, you know what, occasionally my, I'll walk in the house and my wife will say, Glenn, we need to talk. And you know what I do? I stop whatever I'm doing, and I sit down and listen to my wife. So I'm here today, today, we need to have a talk. And I started by saying, do we agree on these things? I took six distinctives that as a global church seven years ago, we all said was define the four-square church around the world, these six distinctives. And I, I went through each one of them. Do you agree? Do you agree? And they'll go, amen, amen. This is, we're four square, and this is what we agree at. And I got to the last one, which was four square doctrine. And so when I got to that, I said, um, we have some concerns in some areas. We'd gotten video, we'd gotten reports back, and it was clear. We had taken it to our doctrine committee, and they go, this is serious. This could be a slide of a whole nation, and they could move away from some very clear biblical sound doctrine. And so when we got to that, their president stood up in that room and said to the entire room, including his board of directors, I was wrong. I want to admit that I went there in error. And I ask for your forgiveness. And his board, to a person, began to weep. Because he had governed them with an iron fist, but for the first time in his entire ministry of 23 years of leading Brazil Foursquare, he had been positioned as a person that would be invited to submit to a spiritual eldership of people, not be told these are the rules. I saw firsthand where relationship influence is more important than rules and regulation. That that's how God really wants us to govern how we lead because it's out of that relational influence and, and that relational connection. So when I look at the Jerusalem Council, at the end of the day, James says... Shouldn't this this was the this was the nexus of their whole meeting? So if God has said that God is doing this, then where is God going? And James says it seems good to us in the Holy Ghost that we should make it easy for the Gentiles to find their way into the community of faith. That was one of the biggest decisions that's ever come out of a meeting. We're going to make it easy for Gentiles to get in. We're going to create a shallow end of the pool. 
Read Acts 15 because their argument in the first part of the chapter is they got to get circumcised, they got to follow all of our rules, blah, 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 blah. And that's what happens when you value organization and rules over relationship. That's what happens when you value control over empowerment. But when Jesus stood at the well of a Samaritan woman who'd been divorced five times, he wasn't checking her theology. At that point, he said, I've got living water for you. And I can tell your life is a mess. She goes, how do you know that? She went into her town and invited the whole town out to meet Jesus. All I'm telling you is if you would got a bunch of scholars together before Jesus encountered them, who would be more likely to bring the town out to him, her or his disciples? We would have all said his disciples. You know what they brought to meet Jesus? Lunch. That's <laughs> what they brought. If I can just have you reposition your thinking for a minute and say that the most important thing the church can land at is how do we keep setting people free? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So you look at where freedom is, and it's an empowerment. I, even in the midst of, of government control in Venezuela, people are being set free spiritually. The church can't hardly contain the number of people who are looking to be set free, even though from a political standpoint, um, one of my most favorite visits was in Venezuela a couple years ago. I went, and there was a phenomenal worship team. And I turned to our missionary and I said, man, this is great. And they're all like in their teens and 20s. And he said, yeah, they're all preacher's kids. I said, really? He said, yeah, the whole worship team is preacher's kids. Well, somewhere during the service, they, the president stood up with this beautiful leather journal and said, we've still got some journals if you want to uh, buy them. Um, we're still trying to, to sell some of them. So I, I turned to, to our missionary and said, how much are the journals? And so he asked a question. He said, they're $10. I said, tell the president, I'll buy one for all of the PKs that are here. And so he told the president. The president smiled. The president got up on the platform and said, Glenn, has, Glenn Burris has said he'll buy one of these journals for every PK. So after the service, come down. I didn't realize there were 170 PKs <laughs> So I called my wife and I said, we just made a $1,700 investment in Venezuela. I just want you to know that. Then they all wanted me to sign it and have my picture taken with them. So two hours later, I was at my hotel. But I love this about our movement that we've landed at a very clear biblical design, which is how do you live and lead in such a way that you're empowering people to become fully mature believers? And I don't know if you've ever thought it, about it like this before, but in my opinion, our model is parenting. We don't parent to raise children. We parent to raise adults. We're preparing them for adulthood. We're not preparing them to be 40 years old and still get their laundry done at home. 
or still have us make their insurance payments. And if some of you do, I'm sorry uh, for that. But um, I, I heard one pastor say he thought he was raising eagles, and he realized he was raising homing pigeons. They, <laughs> however much he sent them out, they kept coming back. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I couldn't sit down and, I mean, Farrell and I have not talked extensively about this. But here's what I know. Given enough time, we all lend to control. It's just our tendency. We want to control the things around us. We want to control conversations. We want to control behavior. But the best way to control things is not through policy. The best way to control things is through relationship. Imparting life in others. That's what Jesus did. There's a fun thing that said when Jesus got to heaven, they said, well, tell us a little bit about what happened. We said, I left Peter in charge. You did what? That's your plan? <laughs> you left Peter in charge? Empowering people has nothing to do with whether people aren't going to fail. We don't one of the greatest stories in the Bible is the contrast between the elder son who did nothing wrong but whose heart and spirit was full of pride and the prodigal son who wasted his entire inheritance but the father celebrated his return. Why? Because the essence of the gospel is about redemption and reconciliation, not about perfection. Are you with me? So what defines us? What defines our leadership time? What defines our conversation? Is it about reconciliation and redemption, or is it about perfection? Because if it's about perfection, you'll spend your time developing things that are more... And I, I get that we need guidelines. I, I'm, not a, I'm not an anti-policy person, but I will tell you that oftentimes we govern out of policy rather than out of influence and out of relationship. And we miss something greatly <coughs> when we do that. But Foursquare has committed itself to an indigenous missiology, and because of that it is... We just, we see growth. We see, we're 50 times bigger around the world. I don't know of another denomination that's 50 times bigger than it is in the U.S. Because we just empower people. Is it risky? Yep. Will people take advantage of it? Yes. But what happens, I, I was in Nigeria recently, 100,000 people at their convention. As far as I could see were people. Two former presidents of Nigeria, I mean president presidents of the nation of Nigeria were there. Uh, several had, or both of them had been military uh, prisoners and had still been presidents of the country and they were both strong believers and they celebrated what Nigeria was, was doing and Nigeria today doesn't ask us for governance. They don't tell us, but they're, it's interesting. Our relational submission is more like, we relate more like family than an organization. They see, they call me their spiritual father, and I have nothing to do. I mean, I just show up. It, it's almost embarrassing. Uh, Pharaoh's been to Cote d'Ivoire. 
I uh, visited Cote d'Ivoire, and I turned down this dirt road to a big conference campground that we own right in front of the Chinese embassy, and I see these thousands of people lining the, the, the driveway, and I said to the national leader, Who, what are they here for? And they said, they're here to greet you. I said, that's incredible because I've never developed the wave, you know. <laughs> and so I rolled down the window, and then I'm going, what's on their T-shirts? And they said, that's a picture of you. <laughs> and later I had a friend text me from Niger, Africa, which is far away from Cote d'Ivoire. He said, I was out in this village in this remote area, and some kid comes walking out of the, the, the hut, and he's got a T-shirt with your picture on it. I'm going, oh, no. But I've never asked a nation to do what I wanted them to do. And there's just something that we have to learn from revolutions and reformations that God has built into the fabric of life That when we empower people, when we're giving stuff away, when we're freeing people up, I've decided, people want to know what I'm going to do in retirement, I've decided, you know, my whole goal is just to help people get free. Just find what God's called them to do. Find their destiny, whether it's an enterprise, own car person, or a nation of thousands of people who are just interested. I... When I left Cote d'Ivoire, they had about 150 security guys. They were all in three-piece suits and uh, dirt floors. And they gathered around me when I left, and they said, Would you pray for us? And I said, you should, you should pray for me. He said, Oh, no, we, we want you to pray for us. And in this dirt, have you been to their conference center? In this dirt floor, 150 security guards who protected me and made sure that Debbie and I were safe from anybody who planned anything other than that knelt down in this dirt and asked me to bless them. And the only reason I could do that is because my life has been blessed. I've been set free. If I've been empowered, how can I entangle others with my own version of Christianity and how things... Now, I get that we have standards, and I get that we communicate, but we've we've patterned our leadership more around organizational leadership than around family. And ultimately, if you don't have a parental influence, our ultimate... Influence is very short-lived. My kids are 42 and 44, and they call us all the time for advice, and we're just we're baffled. I mean, there's lots of times I would have liked to have told them what to do. My son, when he was a freshman at Chapel Hill, his first semester was 1.7. They won't even give you their, their grades. You know that, right? They don't even have to tell you. And um, we just believed simply the verse in Proverbs that says, if you train up a child in the way they should go, they won't depart from it. They may wonder, they may go off, and today I 
couldn't be prouder of my kids. And Martin Luther King Jr., by the way, I don't know if you know that the reason he has his name is because his father went to Jerusalem to examine his spiritual roots of the church, then traveled to Wittenberg, Germany, to study the nonviolent reformation of Martin Luther. And he was so moved that he came back to the United States and changed his name. His name was Michael King. And he changed his name to Martin Luther King. And his son's name was Michael King Jr. And so the famous name that we know today was not his original name. It was Michael King Jr. And he was so impressed by this nondescript priest who said, everybody deserves the Bible in their language. Everybody deserves to be able to read the word, not just the educated, not just the professional clergy. And his first act when he was hiding for his life in exile was to translate the Latin Bible into German so everybody could be free. Isn't that what we want? Man, at the end of the day, we can talk about organization, we can talk about rules, we, but at the end of the day, isn't it about our life given as a Jerusalem council was? It seems good to us in the Holy Spirit to create a place where people can find God. Loran Cunningham couldn't get his missions program accepted among his denominations, so he just started a... He just started sending people to the mission field. You know, sometimes we create too many barriers for people to do mission and to do ministry. We set the bar too high. And Jesus empowered a, a five-time divorced woman who was living in adultery to tell people about him. Wow. He commissions a young man who was demon-possessed and naked and cutting himself and he delivered him, and he said to him, you can't come with me. You want to come with me and learn about my stuff? No, stay here and tell your story. And Mark tells us that the next time Jesus came back into the region, they, they, they asked him to leave, though he had set this man free. See, people, people are more accustomed to bondage than they are health. When this young demon-possessed young man was sitting there, read it in Mark 5, dressed and in his right mind, the people were afraid. They were more afraid of him being healed than they were when he lived in the cemetery, cutting himself and scaring people. And they asked Jesus to leave. But he comes back in two chapters, and the Bible said, because the man told his story, there were thousands waiting for Jesus to teach them and to tell them the truth about the kingdom. That's what I want my life to be about. I, I don't know that I'll ever know the results, and neither will you know the results, but what I want to do is just go around setting people free so that their life will touch people I could never touch. Jesus knew that this man's story would change the way people would think about the kingdom. He himself realized I, they, won't, they won't accept me, but they'll accept him. And when they came back, the kingdom of God opened up. So, Lord, thank you tonight for just reminders time and time again. When we make room for others at the table, when somehow we 
care less about rules and more about relationships. And we're known as someone that people are better off after they've been with. We are empowering people, not controlling people. Then the kingdom of God will advance and the name of God will be lifted up and the effects of the bondage of the world will be broken in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a good word. Can you join me in saying thanks to Pastor Glenn? Again, thanks for uh, making time to come out tonight from uh, all of the pastors that I'm blessed to serve with. Uh, We're grateful for who you are, for how you lead, for the capacity, the role, the function that you have. Um, Again, you're kind of the driving force behind what makes Grace Covenant happen. So we are grateful for you, and um, we look forward in this year. Pastor Stan is driving some initiatives uh, about how can we continue to encourage, affirm, and invest in you as a leader uh, so that we can help you as you're living out your mission, um, not only in and through Grace Covenant, but in uh, your place of service. So you'll be hearing more about that. But thanks for coming out tonight. I pray God's blessings for you uh, in this week before you. Uh, May God's favor just be all over you. God bless you. Have a great evening. Thanks for coming out.